This is Aspire, Arc Street Public Radio, a content-driven platform broadcasting interviews from our Innovate, Innovate Media, Innovate CSR, and Innovate Under 30 podcast series. Aspire gives public voice to socially conscious and forward-thinking leaders within the nonprofit and for-profit sectors, academia, journalism, and social entrepreneurship. Today, our guest is Patrick Struby, founder and CEO of Fairtrade South America, or Fairtrasa. Fairtrasa is the largest fair trade, small-scale farmer organization in Latin America. Fairtrasa's mission is to support small farmers and their communities by connecting them with the opportunity to sell their products on international markets. Patrick was born and raised in Switzerland and is a graduate of the Swiss Academy of Certified Accountants. He's also an Ashoka Fellow. That's an experience we share. Among his many honors, Patrick has been recognized as an Endeavor Entrepreneur and a Yale World Fellow. He's also been recognized in 2009 as Mexico's Social Entrepreneur of the Year, and again in 2012 by the ABC Foundation and also by Univision. Patrick, thank you so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure, David. I'd like, to, I'd like to start by asking uh, some of your background, and I know that um, listeners are going to be wondering, how is it that a Swiss business consultant becomes interested in the life of South American farmers? And uh, I know you've had some formative experiences at Deloitte and also at a company called Glencore that uh, created the ground for this transition in your work. And I'd love it if you could tell us that story. Yeah, absolutely. So indeed, my uh, my career is actually very uh, unconventional. So uh, so as you mentioned, I'm from Switzerland. I was born and raised in Zurich. I had uh, all my studies here in, in in Switzerland, and I really embarked on a very traditional business career. And uh, as you mentioned, I was with Deloitte. I was a business consultant, and then when I was with Deloitte. I, uh, Glencore, what is the largest trading company in, in Switzerland, was my main customer client and they offered me a job and I, what happens a lot in consulting that I, I joined Glencore. And so with that company, I was uh, traveling around the globe, you know, doing multi-million, sometimes billion dollar transaction. And I had, uh, I had an incredible time, really. I was, I was living in airplanes and hotels and, uh, being being all over the world but then what happened is i was on the board of um, of three mining companies in peru and then so the company they sent me up uh, as i went to visit those mines up on, on on very high altitude in the andes and then i got to know these people those miners you know the 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 the, the, the very difficult life they lead and then the company was doing a reorganization, and as a result, many of these of these miners I was sharing a couple of days with lost their jobs. And this was like a big epiphany for me, because I realized that with my job I was making rich rich from the poor poor. So I saw those miners I, I became friends with, for whom it was impossible or very difficult to find a job in because they live in the middle of nowhere you know and they have five kids and uh, and then on the other hand i saw the little money that the company was saving yeah. through that reorganization that was flowing back to head office where all the, the owners were multimillionaires. and so after this epiphany i 
I went back to Switzerland. I, I realized I, I need to do something else with my life. So I quit everything. I, I lost. I, I, I quit a job. I sold my car. I gave my house away. I sold every, all my belongings or I gave them away. And I decided I need to reconsider what to do with life. And then I didn't know where to go, but I wanted to go to a place I've never been to. So just to basically get go, go to a new, some neutral place because I didn't want to get influenced by family or friends. So I picked Mexico. And uh, so I bought a ticket. I bought a one-way ticket, actually, to, to Mexico. <laughs> and uh, so I landed... I landed in Mexico for the very first time without knowing even where to sleep, you know. So, and then the first couple of weeks and months, I was just traveling around. You know, I had one bag and I was traveling around Mexico. And if I liked it, I stayed. If I didn't like it, I continued. And uh, after a couple of weeks, I found a place called Oaxaca. It's like south of Mexico City. I fell in love with this place and I started to study literature and, and, and philosophy and, uh, and did all the things I never had time to do. You know, I even took up uh, playing the violin. Wow. <laughs> so uh, it was a fascinating time. But then shortly after that, I realized I really like international trading and I'm really good at that. But it needed to be fair trading because I've seen a lot of trades that I would not consider, you know, uh, fair when I was with that, with, with that company. And this was the time, and we talk now 2005. Yeah. This was the time when fair trade started very slowly in Europe. There were bananas, there were already some uh, uh, sugar, tea, and like, like a couple of main items. And so I started to investigate about the, inter the fair trade market. Yeah. And uh, as I happened to be in Mexico, I studied about Mexico and I saw that Mexico is the largest avocado producer. And so I thought I may as well see whether I use my sabbatical to, 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 to do a project. I wasn't serious still at that time. I thought, you know, I have a year, so let's let's get into that. Right. So I, I went to, to this place and I, I realized how small scale farmers live in these countries. Yeah. And I saw, basically what I realized was there are two main elements that are the reason why small-scale farmers are detached from markets. Uh, or they live in poverty. They live in, in, in severe poverty. And one is that uh, they, have, uh, they have a product, an item, a fruit or, or, or a vegetable, but because they live in the middle of nowhere, you know, they're so far away from markets, so they sell to middlemen. You know, this is this is just somebody who drives up to the to the to the, to the farm and offers the price, and because the, the fruit is ripe, they, they just have to sell to those. You know, and that price can be and normally is extremely low. And the second the second the second uh, uh, area I saw is uh, that uh, there are or they have they have they have a, they have a good production, but the local market is so low that sometimes it doesn't even pay for harvest. Mm. So the harvest costs are 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 higher than, than than the fruit itself. So the fruit fall off the tree, they rot on the ground, and there's no market. So, and then I did a, I made a tour around Latin America, where I just wanted to get a feeling about what is that that that's, that 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 those conditions with small scale farmers in different countries. And so I noted that there are these parallels. And uh, anyway, to cut the long story short, 
I was then the pioneer with the first fair trade avocados. We formed a cooperative. We helped them with the with the certification to become a fair trade and organic certified. But because, as I mentioned to you, I, I have I have. A, I have no agricultural background whatsoever. I needed obviously uh, a lot of support, so I, I partnered with, with with agronomists who could, you know, uh, uh, teach me and I could learn about agriculture. But my focus really was, you know, supporting small scale farmer. How? What does it take to link them to market? And 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 again, two elements I, I, I realized is one is technical support. How can they be better farmers, get a better quality, more yields? And the second is access to market. And this is the focus of what we developed. Well, yeah, th- this is a tremendous story. And I wanted to just uh, pause you for a minute because I'm about to go into Fairtrasa. And I know we're entering that territory. And I have a lot of questions about that. Okay. But uh, I think this is a fascinating story that you've told. And actually, one of the interesting things about it is that uh, many social entrepreneurs have this similar kind of experience where uh, there is a moment in time in which a light goes on and suddenly the trajectory of their career changes. And um, particularly, I think what's striking in your story also is that you gave yourself permission to get off of the train, you know, and to uh, or get off the ladder and really really take that, you said it was a period of a year to do this soul searching process. And uh, so I just want to, I just wanted to comment on that because it's, it's very profound and most people don't give themselves that kind of opportunity to really be reflective about what they want to do in their life. And I know that people listening to this uh, hopefully will, will be inspired by that part of your story. I wonder just, I have one follow-up question is that um, during that period of reflection, um, when you when you had this epiphany that you want to do something different and you want it to be about fair trade, I'm wondering if in retrospect you saw signs that that doubts had been growing over time. Uh, you know, what was that process like? Could you drill into that a little bit more for okay, us? Okay, very yeah. very good question. So so really, it was really epiphany, and it came out of the blue when when that happened in Peru. Yeah. So, uh, but I was so it was so clear, you know, it was so clear that I needed to do that, and it was also clear I needed to go away from Switzerland because, you know, I, I I'm come I, I'm from a traditional family, you know, very traditional values, very safety focused, you know. I mean, and my, you know, my 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 dad at that time, you know, he could not understand, you know, he <laughs> said, you know, you're like. What is happening to you? I mean, you have the best job. You know, all these people, they envy you for what you have and you just give it away. You know? <laughs> and not just my dad. I mean, all my friends, you know, I mean, I had that. Yeah, I wasn't even 30 years old and I had the position that everybody was dreaming to have, you know, and they just gave it, gave it away. So, so what happens really is, and it was, I went actually through a time of difficulty. So it was like after three months when, when uh, I was in, uh, in this place in Oaxaca, you know, and then I used to get up like at in the in the middle of the night, like at three o'clock, you know, and I realized sort of, wow, you know, I'm here in the middle of nowhere, you know, I don't have a job, I'm not productive because I was trained to be productive all the time. Right. And then these doubts came, you know, now the doubts came, you know, am I really a lunatic? You know, <laughs> have I really done something that is, you know, is the, am I not crazy? You know, and this was, this was like, repeating night after and it was difficult, you know, and I really started to I started to to to, to question, you know. And then I remember when I during the day I, I would walk, 
you know, to the through, through the streets, and I would look at all these people doing things. And and for me, it was a new experience, not doing anything, you know, not being productive. Yeah. And that so it took like a couple of days. But the funny thing, the minute, the minute I had clarity that this is it was the right decision. You know, it is like life testing you. You know, yeah, are yeah. you are you up to the mark? You know? Yeah. I mean, I tell you this now in hindsight, but at that moment it was really difficult. But the minute. The minute I got clarity that this is what I want to do, and this is the right decision, you know, I found the right partner. I, 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 the, the, the avocado project came up, and things started just to fall into place. Everything fell into place. But it was only after like this, this, this nights of nightmare and sweat yes. and doubts. <laughs> but the minute that I, I, I survived that 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 trial period. Things fell into place. So that's that's great, and I I thank you for sharing that because the the courage to stop and think and reflect is something that we see too little of in the world that we live in. Um, to to take you back to the story of Fertrasa, and I, I have a way of framing this question because I think it might help our listeners. Um, you know, most people, they have very little knowledge about how food ends up at their local grocery store. They just know it's there when they get there. And yeah. so I wonder if you could just uh, explain a little bit because um, there is a moment in time before there's a fair trade movement. Then there is uh, a fair trade movement that comes along that changes some of the ways that this happens. And then there is Fairtrasa, which is making further changes to the fair trade movement. And I understand that a lot of the key element of your work is about the focus on small scale farmers and, and, and helping them. And that's different. But to put this in context, if you could just sort of put it in that context, and I know it's a, I know it's a lot of ground to cover, but I think that people will better appreciate what you're doing if they have a little bit of background about how it departs from fair trade, uh, from the from the traditional fair trade movement. Okay, so maybe I can explain it by by giving you an example. Sure. And maybe I can start off with with the avocado where I started. So basically, what you have, you know, I mean, picture yourself being in in this country called called Mexico in an area where there are, let's say, five hundred small scale farmers, and every one of those of those uh, farmers, they have. Uh, they have uh, maybe five to ten acres and they're scattered all over the place in different altitudes and uh, and they are there and they produce avocado because their father was producing avocado and their grandfather and it's it's like a tradition that actually comes from the aztecs you know mexico actually the avocado comes from from, from the mexicans huh. so these are farmers in isolation yeah they have their orchard and that's that's what they do for a living now because they are far away from from uh, from towns uh, the way it happens is that there are these middlemen they're called coyotes in mexico so there are these middlemen they come they they, they 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 come with a truck they go they harvest and they pay them just a ridiculously low price but they don't know really if this is they, they just know that they they barely can live because right. they are not because they, they these these farmers many of them they hardly ever leave their their village yeah. so they they don't really know so they have total lack of information right. now these middlemen what these middlemen do they then take take those uh, avocados and they take them to market and they sell them on 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 to the to the big cities or some even end up in in, in exports but there is a big difference there's a huge difference between that and and uh, and 
I mean, we develop now a lot of farmers really from scratch. And just one one example, just when I was down in Peru two months ago, is where we developed a grower organization where we could pay up to 10 times more than what they would get from the local middleman. Wow. So, so for many projects that we have done, it has been a true life changer for these for these growers. Sure. But because they are detached, because they don't know, you know, they, they don't know how to how to improve um, the yields of an orchard. Because you know, you need to make sure you have to write the fertilizers, you need to do the pruning. So there's a lot of technical agricultural knowledge that they just don't have because it was from father passed pass down to, to to the son. But they they're not they, they don't have the access to the latest agricultural knowledge. And the second is the market. So. So this is what happens not just in in um, in Mexico. It had it happens all over all over Latin America, and actually it happens in all developing countries. Now imagine imagine you take that small farmer I just explained, yeah. you know, who who has been selling to to these middlemen, and now you take that you take that that farmer, you take that village, you take that that state, you take that country, you take that uh, that continent, you know, yeah. and if you so if nothing happens if nothing happens history will continue and they these farmers will remain in poverty forever and ever and ever unless there is something that is a, is, is is an opportunity that helps these farmers to get out of that vicious circle because these right. are they're trapped in a vicious circle and and the two elements we isolated are technical know-how and access to market and these are the key elements that really make them that really make them improve significantly and and the other thing I learned, mm-hmm. what was striking for me, because you know I'm from Switzerland, I have a very good education, so I go to these villages and I meet these farmers, and many of them they can't even read and write, but some are brilliant. They're brilliant people, but they just don't have the opportunity. They never have the opportunity to develop their potential. Why? Because they happen to be born in the middle of nowhere. Right. But these these are great leaders. So we we found these people and, and and they're so happy that they get now an opportunity to develop their potential. You know, these are the leaders who look for other leaders. It's like a snowball effect. This is one of the elements how we grew our our impact and our organization. So so, but basically, what we do is we co- we, we 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 go to those farmers. We 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 pull them. We we start we start the cooperatives. And then we set up the whole logistics that we can go and 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 and, and harvest from these different uh, orchards. So you can imagine, we we ship a lot of these avocados to Europe. So sometimes we have to go to 10, 12 farmers in different places uh, to harvest just to fill one of these big containers. You know these 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 containers that are shipped by sea. So it takes it takes a lot of a lot of logistics and 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 and, and coordination to bring those to the market. Right. So so what happens is we go to twelve farmers, we pick, we they come to a central packing station. There we pack them in 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 in, in boxes, in uh, like four four ten pound boxes, and then they are. They're shipped by sea. They they leave Mexico and they go to Rotterdam, and from Rotterdam they're then sold all over, all over Europe. That's like a very 
uh, a quick summary of what the supply chain looks like. Right. So let me see if I understand this and help our listeners understand, because I know that many of our listeners will be probably aware that um, there's this thing, there's international fair trade certifications, and and uh, so that there are companies and there there are entities that go around and say this is fair trade, this is not fair trade, and but what you're doing is something that's uh, uh, really qualitatively different in a sense you have restructured the supply chain if I'm understanding this right and you are actually have uh, an organization that is into the uh, export business in a, almost in a partnership with these small growers so it's it's not just a certification movement you're actually restructuring the supply chain so that people who have been out of it are now into it so is am I do I am I hearing that right is that is that, exactly yeah. exactly that's a, yeah. that's a good point and let me explain that yeah. Let, yeah. let me explain that that just to to maybe to maybe uh, describe the difference between what is the standard fair trade and what is the system that we have developed. Yes. So basically, fair trade, fair trade is a very good system that was developed 15 years ago that is focused on supporting these small-scale farmers. And it is a social certification, whereas, for example, organic is a food uh, certification. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a certification that's there are no chemical fertilizer in that product. So if you walk into Whole Foods, for example, and you see an organic fruit, you know there is no chemical fertilizer. Whereas Fair Trade is a social certification. Now, what it says is that there's there are standards, Fair Trade standards, and they, they say that for every for every product that is sold as Fair Trade, there is a guaranteed minimum price. That is a price that is calculated based on production costs, and they say that that the farmer can lead a, a, a good life or a decent life. They need to get at least a certain price, and that is a fixed price per kilogram. Gotcha. So, and there are two elements. One is uh, this minimum guaranteed price, and the other is co is a fair trade premium. So, for example, and this is in kilograms because uh, Europe is the main market. For example, one kilo of avocados, the minimum price defined is one dollar sixteen. Mm. And, but if the market now is above that, we have to pay whatever the market is, but we can never go below. It's like it's like a, a safety net for 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 a producer. But on top of that, there is a, a fair trade premium that is about 10% that is also uh, that goes also to the farmer, but not to the farmer individually, but to the cooperative. And with those uh, uh, premiums, a social development or community development project can be made. So, for example, what we did is we helped build a handicapped school for 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 kids, or we put in uh, medical dispensaries in these in these remote villages. So, so these are those two components: one, the, the guaranteed minimum price that goes into the pocket of the farmer, and the second is this fair trade premium. Now, this is the system as it is known around the world. Mm -hmm. Now, when we started. I my first I had a very important lesson. I had a lot of actually important <laughs> lessons. And at the beginning I thought, okay, money money lifts farmers out of poverty. That's what I thought. That's why fair trade is good. But then I was when I started the first project, a project with, with mango growers. You know, I, I, everybody obviously when you talk to growers, everybody is interested. Yeah, if I can make more money, of course I want to join the fair trade movement. But then I also saw that 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 the coordinator of the of that group. He was paying those 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 farmers 
for or, or those pickers on a weekly basis because they couldn't manage money you know they, if they pay still a monthly salary because they would spend it all but then they took that money and then they went to the next pub and and got drunk and and and, and the wives at home didn't see any of the money so i realized that money alone cannot cannot do the job money alone actually in some circumstances can do even more harm so i realized that the, the, the economic component is an important component but amongst many others and and the key component is education. So so what we then did, we started to develop a system that really focus focuses on 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 the on the development part, in combination with the economic part. And 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 this is what we have seen has really now helped helped the farmers to 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 develop. This Innovate series features dialogue with some of the most influential advocates for changing our world, from the CEOs and founders of major nonprofits to the directors of cultural and academic institutions. Innovate demonstrates the vital role of empathy as an agent for that change. Innovate and Aspire are produced in partnership with Ashoka, Innovators for the Public, the Kellogg Fellows Leadership Alliance, and the Philadelphia Social Innovations Journal, and presented by Arch Street Press and the Public Radio Exchange. We now return to our Innovate interview with David Castro and Patrick Struby, founder and CEO of Fairtrasa. Right, right. So, so this is a very important uh, thing to underscore that. And, and am I correct that um, this work that is essentially an investment in the community of the local producer, that comes from the premium on top of the fair trade price? Am I, am I correct? Exactly. That, that's so how, yeah. So what is important to understand? What is important to understand now for for all the listeners is is I mean we 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 are here in the international trading business where there is a lot of what we call conventional food. Yeah. So conventional food they generally come from these big orchards. Now it is impossible for small scale farmers to compete with the production that comes from big orchards just because of of economies of scale. Just right. because just harvesting the avocados in all, from all these 12 farmers makes it basically impossible to, to compete. Right. Now, the question is, why does it work? Why does it still work, even though if we have much higher costs with small-scale farms? And the reason is because there are consumers out there who are willing to pay more for a product because they know that by buying those products, they are supporting small-scale farmers in a direct way. So imagine you walk into Whole Foods and you buy an avocado for $1.80. Yeah. And then in the same in the same store, you have next to it, you have an avocado that costs $2. Mm-hmm. And you pay 20 cents more. And those 20 cents more make the whole difference. Right. Because those 20, 20 cents are guaranteeing the minimum price, and part of that is the social is 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 the social premium. So it so the, so so, so the, the reason why that works is because there are the the conscious consumer who says, you know, I have a good living, I have a good life, I I 
I'd, I see the misery in the world and I'd like to help in one way or another. And I can do that in a direct way by just, you know, buying, buying, buying fair trade. And that is a, that is a movement that has really grown because a lot of people who see what is happening in the world and they, they're tired of donating money to some foundations. They don't know what is what they do with the money. But if they go and they walk into their shop and they buy the fair trade bananas and the fair trade coffee, they know and they have, because of the certification, they have a guarantee that that money will support small scale farmers in a direct way. Right, right. So really, there's, if I'm understanding this right, there's two important things that are going on. One is that by restructuring the supply chain, you have taken out some of the middle players that were not really adding value. And the money that used to go to them is now going to more directly to the small scale farmer. And then the second thing is by essentially marketing the uh, fairness element of this to consumers, consumers want, in addition to buy food, they want to buy fairness for these producers. Am I, am I hearing that right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So this Absolutely. is, yeah, this is terrific. And um, so the other thing I wanted to pull out of this, because I think it's important, is that uh, there, you've talked a little bit about the commitment to organic and environmental um, values. And that is also something that, that you do. And I wonder if that is, if you could talk about that and talk about the training that you provide to producers. Is that part of how they're trained uh, to do this in a way that is environmentally sound and that also has a commitment to uh, providing a product that is an enhanced product because it is organic? Yeah. So from the very beginning, I, I, was, I was focusing on on, on this dual certification. So the fair trade certification and the organic certification. And the organic certification precisely because of the health aspect and because of the environmental aspect. So there were studies done that, uh, that, that demonstrate that uh, not using chemical fertilizer or using just 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 natural fertilizer really enhances enhances uh, soil fertility it is the co2 absorption so there are a lot of very positive element uh, erosion it, it 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 avoids erosion so there, there are a whole series of, of of benefits so so a benefit for the environment, but also a benefit, obviously, for the producer economically, because uh, fair, uh, organic fruits have a have a higher have a higher uh, market price that we can pass on to the farmers. Because we knew from the day one, from day one when we started, if we want to if we want to be in the market, we need to have something that distinguishes us. Otherwise, you know, it will not it will not work. And because we were the only ones with those with the dual certification. I could basically go to, to, to the market and co I could offer something that nobody else has, you know, so it were, we, were, we were the first ones. And uh, as we then went along, we realized, uh, you know, this was when the climate change, uh, the climate change issue became became a topic. So we then uh, we then looked, how can we continue doing more environmental project so we started the project to, to produce compost compost is uh, is is used for our farmers to increase the, the fertility in the soil but the, the way we produce the compost was by by uh, cleaning a lake that was like uh, that was uh, contaminated and there was like these water lilies growing on top so we were cleaning the lake using those those water lilies to then produce uh, compost 
and we could also measure how we how we were uh, reducing or absorbing the CO2, the the the, the, the carbon sequestration. And for that, we then even be, got the got the carbon credits, you know, for the for the for the for the CO2 uh, elimination. What had also a very positive a positive uh, impact. And now, as we continue, as we continue to replicate our model to various countries, we we focus very heavily on 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 actually. We hope we focus very heavily on, on on a triple bottom line impact. So the economic one for the for the, for the direct market access and the price, the social with the future premium, and the environmental with the with the organic and all these these uh, sustainable projects we do. And and are the farmers that come into the training element of this? Uh, are they uh, do they end up fully embracing this vision of um, an environmental and sustainable approach to farming? Is that is that a big uh, learning curve? How does that work? That's a good question. Yeah. Uh, the majority do, but not everybody. I see. I see. So, so sometimes, you know, we we also see see farmers and they're happy, you know, or they're happy. They just they they just they they have no interest. It's like it's like um, right. like in our society also. Not everybody has an interest, but there's so but the, the the vast majority they really have 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 an interest because they they lack opportunities. They lack opportunities in 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 the village where they live. So what we then did, and and what is one of our unique uh, uh, development, our unique development program is. When we started to work with this small-scale farmer, we realized that not every small-scale farmer is a small-scale farmer in the same development phase. So we we segregated those into three groups. Mm-hmm. We had the, the first group was like the, the, the what we call the rural poors, mm-hmm. are the ones who have land, but they don't have money for fertilizer, seed, nothing. And many of them don't even work on their orchard. And the second group are like semi-developed growers. These are growers that already have a product, but they don't have technical know-how. They don't have support. They sell also to middlemen. And then the third group are the more developed growers who already can have access to the, the local markets and some of the international markets. So it's like a development program. So we, when we now go into a new into a new country, where there are a lot of growers who have never ever gone through anything, don't even know about certification, we basically put them into our training program and then they start in group one. And and the plan is that over time that they grow, that they develop themselves from from group one to two to three. Interesting. So we so we give them a perspective. We give them a perspective. Say if you join our development program in two, three years, you may you may uh, you may reach that level where where, where where we can sell your product at the higher price. We, and this also from a market point of view uh, uh, led us to develop two brands because our main brand, the Fertrasse brand, is like organic and fair trade. And uh, but when you go to these to into a new place, not every not, I mean it takes time to get those farmers to the level where you can certify them. So we developed a second brand that uh, is for the ones that 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 start that 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 development step. And so it's like it's like a it's like a. A Mitsubishi, you know, the right. brand, it's a Mitsubishi brand, and there is a BMW or Mercedes. So <laughs> we go to these producers and we tell them, look, this is our, our 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 development. We can start working with you, and then once you get there, we get you can get the different brand. And this has it was very successful, and and they they have a, a sense of of belonging, and they and they and they really they really see now that they have an opportunity to to develop, and they see the result of it. 
And so your work started in Mexico, but now you've referenced in, in the last comments that you made all these other countries that you have uh, entered. And I wonder if you could give our listeners a sense now of the scope of Fair Trasa, because it's not just uh, Mexico, but uh, Argentina, Peru, Chile. And then are you, in, are you also in other countries? Yes. So, so yeah. from, from day one, from day one, when I started, I, I wanted to develop a model that can be replicated. And uh, so for TRASA stands for Fair Trade South America. Even though I started in Mexico, technically Mexico is not South America. But because my epiphany was in Peru, I knew I wanted to be in Peru. So Peru was very important for me. Okay. So this was then also the, the, the first country where we re replicated our model. And, uh, and that was a very uh, fascinating experience, you know, because we saw the differences, you know, that, that our model, you know, 80% basically from the model can be replicated, but then 20% needs to be tailored to the, to, to the cultural circumstances. Yeah? Because in some countries, for example, cooperatives have a very bad reputation because they've been cheated in the past by others. Right. And in other countries, they are perfectly fine. So Peru was the first country replicated. Then we went to Argentina. Then we went to uh, Chile. Uh, we are starting now, then we went to, to Brazil. We, we're starting now in October. We're starting in Colombia. Wow. We also then took it to to uh, to Asia, to Europe, in, in Turkey. We have a first project, and uh, I have now somebody who wants to take it to uh, to to uh, Kenya. Wow. Mm. So it's a model that we see we can we can replicate uh, easily because we also see that from a market point of view that there is a, an increasing demand for for fair trade organic or, or or simply sustainable food items. Interesting, interesting. And um, tell me, I, I noted that uh, you just recently have acquired a European importer exporter. How does that fit into the vision of uh, Fair Trust? Okay, so this is a good question. When I started, I wanted to I wanted to help small-scale farmers. I wanted to represent those and I wanted to develop them. And then we did that and I was exporting those fruits to importers in Europe. And when 2009 came along with the financial crisis, I realized despite the fair trade, despite all I mentioned earlier, I, was, I, I couldn't make a living. My margin was go, was becoming smaller and smaller and smaller, and I, I realized if I if I take out the middlemen in the in the in the in the producing country Mexico and Peru, but I see that the importer has a big margin. That is the element that makes me you know really makes my, my makes my, my my existence difficult. I realized that I needed to also get my set up my own import company to make it sustainable. So this was after that I realized to really scale it to really give the opportunity to many more growers I need to control a large part or the largest part of the supply chain and this is when we set up our own import company. So we then in 2010 we set up our own import company meaning that Fortresa Mexico was selling to Fortresa Europe as the importer and Fortresa Europe then was selling to the supermarkets ah. and this was probably one of the best decisions I've ever made because it really put us on a, on a, on a, on a, on a better footing again and and the reason now your question was we acquired a company to be honest I wasn't planning on acquiring a company. Uh, also, we don't have the money to 
to acquire a company. But that the owner of that company approached me and he said, look, this is so fantastic what you do. I am just, I mean, I have my company, but I'm a trader. And I see that the, the, the trend in the market is that these supermarkets, they don't want to buy from traders anymore. They want to buy at source. So the same thing that is happening on the ground that, you know, middlemen are cut out. The same thing is really now happening in these markets. So he said, look, I mean, I see what you do. I think it's fascinating what you do. And I know that you will be a big competitor. So why don't you take me over and you make me head of sales? And uh, and then we, we can dub, double our sales. And uh, so this was the reason why we took over that company, because it helped us to, sure. to, to, to grow our market. Because what I realized, I can only help growers uh, in, in line with how I develop markets. The more market I have, the more growers I can help. So this needs to go hand in hand. Right. And so it's fascinating, really. It's just such a fascinating business model because what you're really doing is restructuring the supply chain to deliver more value to the grower. I mean, that's that's really the way. That's what we do. That's what we do. Yeah. And it's, a, uh, and it's something that achieves this uh, vision that you started with initially, which is the idea of, of fair trade that, 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 that instead of being exploited, that the farmer will be recognized as, as a valuable uh, part of the business process. So um, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing um, that you're doing. Uh, your vision for the future is to continue to grow into more markets and to uh, do this kind of consolidation of the supply chain, bringing the grower, you know, closer and closer to the consumer. Am I am I hearing that right? Absolutely. So when I started, you know, in Mexico, yeah. I would never have thought that I would end up, you know. Uh, controlling also or, or owning import companies but it was just the way it developed you know and so one thing led to the other and today we see that also the market is going into that direction and and now our our goal is really to replicate the model to many more countries so we want to be in all these development countries developing countries and um, and the goal is that we we, we, we we replicate on the ground to to these countries, but also on the sales side. So for us, Europe is now our main market. Then, I mean, I started already in in, in the US. So the U, but the US is still small. So so we try to grow the US market, and then at the later stage, we also try to look at uh, at Asia, where we already have some minor sales. But we believe that this is a trend that will continue around the globe, and we want to be leader. We want to be leader in that, and we want to be also a role model to show other entrepreneurs, you know, that, that there is a possibility that you can do good and do well at the same time. That's a uh, terrific segue to the to the uh, final question that I have for you, um, which is, you know, we're coming to the end of our time together. I, I have many more questions, but hopefully at, at some point in the future, we'll talk again and pick up where your work is at that time. But um, as a social entrepreneur, I know many of our listeners will be uh, early stage social entrepreneurs who are interested in, in the process and are developing their own ventures. So my question is stepping back, and I think you have a unique perspective on this because you were uh, a business consultant in for-profit business before you were a social entrepreneur. And so I think you perhaps have the unique perspective of seeing through both lenses. And I wonder if you could comment on how is it different when you uh, begin to take into account these social values uh, and when you're no longer thinking only about 
the trade, but about the fairness, about the social justice that's involved in the business. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So, I mean, as you say, my, my background is, is business. This is how I've been grown up. This is what I understand. And up to the day I had the epiphany, that's how my mind was working. And, uh, but this is still part of me. This is why when I started for Chasa, I knew from day one, it needed to be a, a, an economically self-sustaining model because I don't want to depend on donations. So for me, it was very important that, that whatever we do, that we can, we can, we can generate income, but we, with that income, we can, we can, um, we can create positive impact for many. So, uh, so the approach was really that everything actually I do, the way I approach it was from a business point of view, but with a, with, with the view of generating, in, 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 instead of generating a lot of income, generating a lot of impact, increasing my, our producer base, including more growers, making sure we have better techniques to improve yields. So it's just, instead of just having one focus, the focus is really looking at these communities and see what is it, what does it take that these farmers can develop? What, what, are they, what do they have and what are they lacking? And what can we do to, to get that, to get, uh, to get that knowledge that infrastructure to these places. And the way we did that through, through international trading. It's like the engine in a way. I use the international engine to generate, the, to generate the, the, those, those impacts. So it's really, today it's really, I mean, we want to be an example, as I mentioned earlier, for that, that to, to demonstrate that doing good and doing well is possible. It is not easy. It is not easy, but it is possible. So everything I do, everything I do, I always have those two hats on. One is I say, okay, I need to pay the salaries of my people, so I need to make money. But at the same time, you know, I see the development. So many, many, you know, I'm at Yale. I, I mentioned that I'm at Yale and I was giving courses about sure. social entrepreneurship. And then just one example to, 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 to illustrate, yeah. you know, and, uh, and, and one example was I was, I went to Peru and I was, I was hiring, uh, I wanted to hire a country manager and these, the, and the country manager thought it, is, it was a great guy and he loved the idea and I wanted to hire him. And then he basically didn't take the job, but what he did, he took my idea and he replicated the model. And today he's one of our biggest competitors. Wow. Now, <laughs> as a business guy, now, if I put on my business hat, you know, and at the DL, everybody say, no, this is terrible. You have to protect your market. You have to do this. You have to do that. And then I was saying, if I put on my business hat, you're right. I need to protect my, my market. But if I put on the hat of a social entrepreneur, I mean, he took my idea. Yes, he took my idea. But also what he's doing, he's also now helping those, 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 those farmers. So uh, they're different perspectives. So, yeah. so, so this is why. A social entrepreneur always have to have to look at the same situation from different lenses and not just purely generating money. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I know that people are going to be fascinated uh, when they hear this. And um, to support your efforts, efforts, the best way to direct listeners would be to your website, fairtrasa.com. And we'll put that up with the link to the podcast. Um, I'm also uh, wondering, are there any other important ways that uh, listeners should try to reach you or support your work? Uh the, the website is definitely is definitely the best way to yeah. to get in touch with us. Also on the website you see all our offices and and emails of country managers. Sure. If somebody's interested in even visiting what is happening, see it with 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 his or her own eyes. They're all more than welcome. 
Great. Well, Patrick, uh, thank you so much for your extraordinary leadership and work in this area and uh, for sharing uh, with us today. It's been a real pleasure to speak with you. It's my pleasure. Thank you for joining us today. Our library of interviews and a range of further resources may be found at archstreetpress.org or prx.org.